Hey, glad you're with us. Hey, before I begin this uh, message today and actually starting a new series, I want to bring you just a couple of different updates, and they're both about this week. Number one, I think you already have heard that next Sunday on Father's Day, June 21st, we're going to do a special gathering right on our church campus. I hope you can be with us because we're going to take an hour from 11 a.m. to noon to worship together bilingually, to pray for each other, and to celebrate dads. It's going to be quite a time together. Man, I hope you can be there and that doesn't mess up your Father's Day plans. So, hey, watch the online service first because it's not going to be the full church service. Just going to be a time of worship and prayer and celebration next Sunday, June 21st at 11 to noon. Hey, the second thing that I want to share with you is something that's actually coming up at the very beginning of this week, Monday through Wednesday. Now, the Foursquare Church across America is being called to three days of corporate prayer and fasting and lament. So starting tomorrow, Monday, June 15th, and concluding with a nationwide online service this coming Wednesday at 5 p.m., Man, we're going to be praying together and, and believing that God is going to do breakthrough in our nation. But we're joining together as a Foursquare family nationally to cry out against racism. We're putting details on our Facebook page, and uh, I hope that you would join with us in that. What is my fasting going to look like? I, I already believe that I'm going to be fasting at least television for the next uh, few days. For me, that's something that I plug into and gives me a little bit of relaxation at the end of a lot of days. But for the next three days, I'm not turning on the TV. Rather, I'm going to take that time to pray, to pray for our nation, to pray for healing, to pray for breakthrough. Join me, would you? Hey, and if you've been giving, uh, you've just been sacrificially being generous to the work of the Santa Maria Foursquare Church. And I just want to say thank you for that. We're actually doing well at providing for the needs of our church. You know, some churches have faced a real downturn. And can I tell you, congratulations, church. You've been giving and, and not only giving uh, to our church, but also giving to the work that's happening through our missionaries, the Audiolas in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Thank you for supporting the work of the kingdom. And and if you haven't yet gotten a hold of how to do that, it's it's really pretty simple. You can just go to our church website, sm4.org slash giving, and that's going to uh, show you right there how you can either mail in a check or how you can give online. Or if you've got your phone handy, you can just text SM4 to 77977, and you're going to find it's really, really simple um, to give online, and uh, we're so thankful that many have already found the joy of partnering together in generosity. That's so appreciated. So you're ready for a new series, because today we're beginning a new series. It's in the book of Acts, and it's called Becoming the Church. And you probably are wondering, aren't we already a church? What do you mean by becoming the church? So here's what I've been thinking about. When the church very first began, about 2,000 years ago, those first followers of Jesus, they didn't have a clue about what the church should look like. All they knew is that Jesus said he would build it. 
Do you remember what Jesus said in a conversation with Peter and found in Matthew chapter 16? He said, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So all those early disciples knew about the church was that it was something that Jesus said that he was going to be building. Now, when we think about those early disciples, those first followers of Jesus, I believe it's so easy for us to romanticize them, turning them into some kind of mythical superheroes wearing their little Jesus capes. But truly, they were people just like us. You know, they loved Jesus for sure, but they were trying to figure out life, not like you and I are. And none of them had ever been part of a church before. Yes, they'd grown up going uh, to synagogue, you know, places of Jewish prayer and study of the scriptures that we call our Old Testament. That was just scripture to them. But now Jesus was creating something brand new, something they'd never been part of before. A community of his followers joining together to minister the life and love of Jesus to each other and to reflect God's kingdom to the world around them. But we have to recognize that these early disciples didn't know the first thing about the church. They had to learn to become the church. And that's the story of the book of Acts. It's a story of people like you and me becoming the church. And when we look at our current reality and try to imagine what the future is going to look like, we realize that maybe we don't know much about what it means to be the church either, at least the church of tomorrow, because more and more it feels like yesterday's answers aren't going to fully solve today's new questions. So what we're doing is we're going back to the start of the story to walk alongside those early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts to see if we can learn from them as they were discovering how to become the church. So in Acts chapter 1, what we find is that Jesus had already died, he'd already risen from the dead, and he was about to return to heaven, but was now spending just a few precious weeks giving final instructions to his closest followers and friends. And we pick up in Acts chapter 1. Would you read along with me verses 3 through 8? And then we'll reflect on those together. It says this, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them, about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has promised. As I told you about before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when the apostles uh, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, 
The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I want you to notice with me what the disciples did as soon as Jesus told them that they would soon be receiving that Holy Spirit that God had promised to them. They kept asking Jesus, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now remember, the Jews were an oppressed people. During the days of Jesus, Israel was under the rule and authority of the Romans. Roman officials and their military were an occupying force, making the Israelites pay taxes to Caesar and often making life brutally difficult for them. So they were an oppressed people. And so this jumps immediately to to their mind. Now that Jesus had risen from the dead, his followers are imagining, yes, finally, if God can conquer death, he can certainly conquer these evil Romans. Uh, however, they made a critical mistake in their in what they were imagining. I believe one that many are still making today. See, they thought that God's kingdom would be an earthly, physical kingdom. They wanted, I would say, a nationalized kingdom. And that that nationalized kingdom would be the foundation of their power. Now, Jesus immediately corrected their thinking. And we're going to get back to what Jesus did in a moment to bring correction. But but just reflect with me. I mean, isn't it amazing that after walking with Jesus for three years, his disciples could still think that the kingdom was going to be a political, nationalized kingdom? Though it exists for their benefit, the benefit of their nation, Israel alone. But, you know, we're probably all aware that that kind of thinking still exists today, even within those who follow after Jesus. You know, so many American Christians seem to have the same belief that the power of the church is in its ability to work politically. But the power of the church, and I believe this is what Jesus was saying to his followers, is not political. It's a spiritual power given by the Holy Spirit himself. It's a power that can raise the dead to life, set captives free, and tear down any hellish stronghold. That is the power that Jesus has given his church. And as I think about politics and and the church, I believe that there are at least two dangers for those who try to still weave politics into the message of the church. First, I believe that it waters down the gospel. Whenever we weave politics into the message of the church, it waters down the good news of Jesus. And I don't care whether it's liberal or conservative whatever the agenda, no matter how good it it is, it will get in the way of what's even infinitely better. 
That's the message of Jesus that can bring true healing to a person's soul and bring true healing even to an entire nation. So first, I think politics will, it'll water down the gospel. And second, here's the other danger that politics always divides people. Really, it's, it's the nature of the beast. Because once I've determined that God is aligned with my political perspective, then all those on the quote-unquote other side of the fence, well, they're now the enemy rather than my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to tell you just a little bit of my story. You know, I've never shared this with the church before, and and uh, very few people have ever heard me talk about this, but... You know, when I grew up, it probably wouldn't shock you to, you know, come to, to know that I was pretty darn conservative, you know, pretty conservative in a lot of my thinking. You know, but by the time I kind of got into high school and into college, I began to realize that that actually there are some ideas across the political spectrum that when I think about them sound pretty close to what the heart of God would be for people and for people in our nation. And so I, you know, I began to think that, ah, you know, do I really want to be forever linked to a particular political party? But maybe there's a different way. And so for, for the very first time in my life, when I moved here to Santa Maria over five years ago, and you know, when you're filling out your information and you have to register to vote, I decided that at that point, I was no longer going to affiliate myself with a particular political party. Wow. I mean, that was, that was really, really different for me. And this was only my story. Listen, I, I am not saying this as a prescription for you. I'm telling you this as a description that was going on in my heart and what I felt that I needed to do to be in alignment with, with what God was calling me to do as a pastor. Because I realized that I want to be able to pastor all people and never have someone wonder if I'm trying to convert them to a particular political party or agenda. Man, my heart is that the only conversion that I'm interested in is your heart. Man, going from spiritual death to spiritual life in Jesus. So listen, when needed, trust me. We'll look at all political issues in, in light of God's word together. We'll sit down, we'll look to see what scripture says and say, Jesus, do you have something to tell us about different political issues that are facing our nation? Are politics important? Absolutely. Get involved. Register to vote and be a voter. Follow God. Ask Jesus, God, what do you want me to do politically? And, and God, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll vote for those who seem to really represent you and represent people the best, the best that I can. And also, does social reform work? We've been hearing so much in the news these days about social reform. Does it have value? Absolutely. We should work for it. So yeah, politics are important. Social reform is important. But for me, this is what it comes down to. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I believe that's not only my message, but but for our church, that's the message of our church. And again, this is not to dissuade you from being a part of any political party. You have to answer to the Holy Spirit for how you decide to live your life politically. That's just my story. But I want to get back now to the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples in Acts chapter 1. And, you know, they just suggested that Jesus might restore Israel's national power. But Jesus immediately corrects their thinking. He says, yeah, you will receive power. But this power won't be centralized to benefit just one group of people or nationalized to be held, well, held in one part of the world. In fact, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's power does the very opposite of what you were imagining. He says, instead of empowering political freedom for your nation, it will empower you to bring spiritual freedom to all nations. You see, I I believe that the disciples had simply forgot what the prophets had said. One of the prophets who spoke powerfully to this on behalf of the Lord was the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 6, this is what the prophet Isaiah proclaimed. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. He says, God says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. You will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, right here, Jesus is pointing to Isaiah saying exactly what the prophets foretold. This is what I'm talking about. So the very first thing that these followers of Jesus learned about the church is that it wasn't just for them. That the church must be a missionary community. Now listen again to what Jesus says here. Here's his words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see here is Jesus clearly laying out this missionary strategy of the church. First, he says, start in Jerusalem. I mean, that's where they lived. So bring the good news of Jesus to your neighbors. You know, when he says Jerusalem, he's he's really speaking about those who are most culturally similar to you. They shop at the same stores as you. Their kids go to the same school as your kids. They eat at the same restaurants, and they're likely facing many of the same problems that you are. So start there. But I love, Jesus goes on and says, but don't stop there. Because then he moves on to Judea. 
Now, Judea was outside of Jerusalem. This was, this was a further um, location in the, in the um, area of Israel. And when Jesus speaks of Judea, he's saying that these people are similar to you, but they have different cultural realities. So if you're a city person, those in Judea might represent uh, the hicks out in the country, right? And if you're one of those hicks out in the country, those in your Judea would be people, you know, kind of like those uh, slick city folk. We may speak the same language, but we actually see life pretty differently. So good, Jesus says, get over yourselves and take my message to those who are a bit different than you are. Then Jesus goes further and man, he drops the hammer when he brings up Samaria. Now, you probably would remember the story that Jesus had told of the Good Samaritan. The guy Jesus made, the hero of the story, the Good Samaritan, was actually from this hated ethnic group. Because the Samaritans, they weren't full Jews, nor were they full Gentiles. They did speak the same language as the Jews, but they had their own forms of worship, and these two groups absolutely did not mix with each other. So when Jesus brings up Samaria, I mean, this was pushing the disciples way out of their comfort zones. Because the Samaritans were those people. Those people? Jesus really were to bring uh, your gospel, the message of the, the kingdom, to, to those people? Really? And it forces us, I believe, to recognize our own prejudices. So for you, who might you consider to be those people? What might Jesus be saying to you even in this moment about bringing his good news even to them? Then Jesus goes even further. And cuts to the chase because he says, not only Jerusalem, uh, Judea, and Samaria, but you're to go to all nations, even to the ends of the earth. And he's speaking, saying, bring, bring my gospel, bring my good news to those who are completely different from you in every way. Language, customs, and culture, skin color, everything. See, Jesus is saying, my gospel is for them as well, and you are going to be the ones to bring it to them. Jesus communicates this powerful truth. My church is going to be a missionary community. Now, you may be wondering, like, isn't the church supposed to be about helping me and my family? I mean, pastor, aren't you supposed to teach me and help me grow and care for my needs? Of course. Churches are absolutely to love and care for their own. We are going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. I promise you as we get just a little bit further into Acts. But here's the truth. I want you to think about this long and hard. Whenever the church forgets that they're a missionary community... Well, guess what it's forgetting? That they're called to be a river of living water created by God to flow out to others, both near and far. 
And when you forget the word to be a river, guess what happens to the church? It quickly becomes a stagnant, stinking pond. Now, it's been said of the church that it is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. I love that. Even though, actually, it's, it's really only half true. You and I get so much benefit from linking our hearts and our lives together in Jesus. But we must never forget that we're still learning what it means to become the church. And as we do that, that Jesus has told us that his love is not only for those of us who are already in the church. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to his followers in John 20, verse 21, he says, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. Just like I've been sent, I now send you. Put it this way. Jesus was the missionary God sent from the Father to the to earth sent from heaven to you and to me and Jesus says this just like that I am now sending you the church must be a sending agency a missionary community now if you've ever wondered why we at the Santa Maria Foursquare Church are so committed to doing outreaches and being involved in our community, serving our neighbors, staying connected to uh, Joel and Veronica Adiola and their, their family, there are missionaries to Mexico, and now we are committing ourselves as a church to continuing a strong and vibrant online ministry even after we reopen the doors of our church. This, my friends, is the reason why. Because the river must not just flow into our church from heaven. It's got to flow from our church to the world around us. The church is always to be a missionary community. And listen, when we get that wrong, Believe me, the world notices. I believe it's one of the major reasons the church has been rejected by so many in our society. Because honestly, they don't often reject Jesus. Very few do that. But what a lot of people do is reject the church. Why? Because to them, the church stinks. To them, it's like smelling a stagnant, nasty pond. But think about this, but what might be different if the river of God's church were to flow right to their front door? So what, what could that look like for that river of living water, well, to flow right to their front door? How about that we love people instead of rejecting them? How about doing something simple like watching their kids for them when they're busier at work? How about bringing them a meal when they're sick or something discouraging has happened in their story? How about paying their electric bill when they may have fallen behind? How about not arguing over politics, but actually learning to show empathy to their point of view? 
Wow, that's a big one. You know, I've, I've discovered for myself that I'm an expert in my own perception, right? I know exactly what I feel about things. But boy, it's entirely different that with empathy, when I would sit down with someone who sees life, maybe politics really differently than I do, not because I'm wanting to adopt their point of view, but that I'd understand it. You know, that's empathy, is seeing things from someone else's perspective and and valuing them and valuing their point of view, even if their point of view never becomes, well, my own. What if we were to do that with our neighbors? And what if we had the opportunity to share the gospel story, the good news of Jesus, when they ask, what makes you so different from everyone else I know? Friends, I believe that these kinds of things is what it's going to look like as we're becoming the church. And guess what? We don't even have to wait for the doors of our physical church to reopen to do any of these things. Because all of these things we can do right now as a missionary community, as people who are being commissioned and sent out to carry the light and the love and the message of Jesus to the world around us. Just as Jesus was sent to earth, now he sends us as his church to the world around us. Starting close, starting with those who look a lot like us, but then going farther and farther out all around the world. Church, would you pray with me? God, we recognize and confess our need for you in this. It is so easy for us to, like those early disciples, immediately jump to the conclusion that that your kingdom is about my benefit. And while we do know, yes, your, your good news and oh, your kingdom, it brings us so much benefit. The benefit of our salvation, of our healing, of our being set free from hell's torment. But God, it doesn't ever stop with us. And Lord, we don't want that to be true of our church. We want to be those who will go out as your missionary community into our neighborhoods. Lord, into our city, into our nation, and even around the world. And God, thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit's power to energize us and to animate us as we would do those very things. So Lord, help us as we go. And God, we pray that you would draw people to yourself so that God, is, as we're out there planting seed and nurturing your kingdom's work in the lives of others, the Lord, that you would bring forth a great harvest. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guess what? You and I are missionaries. Part of a church that is God's missionary community to the world. Join us next week because we're going to be continuing on in the series in the book of Acts as we are learning together what it means to become the church. You are loved. We're going to see you really soon. Don't miss our gathering on Father's Day at the church campus. It's going to be so special. We'll see you there at 11 o'clock.